Welcome, one and all, to Two Guys, One Dice Cup. My name is Al, Golden Eye Unicorn, and with me, once again, will be... Phil from Ashes Cairns. Yes, thanks, Phil. Series 4, Episode 11, Old World Almanac. Can you believe it's almost the end of the year? No, it has been a super quick year. It has been quite disgusting, but we are blessed... We have blessings from the old world that there is a release date at some point in 2024 and the Eurobowl Blood Bowl competition will also be taking place in Greece uh, at some point also in 2024 and in this episode we are going to talk about both of those. We're going to do a review, uh, well more like an overview of the Eurobowl um, rules pack and player pack. And we're going to delve into the various articles that have come out concerning the old world. They are giving us a bit of a preview of what the rules are going to look like. And um, they've released some more more models, which are looking very sexy. Yes. Did you have to think about the did you have to think about the sexiness there, Phil? I just uh, I just had to think about all of it. Like the whole thing. I'm so excited about the old world. I might yep. not sound right this second, um, <laughs> but yeah, I am, I am, I, I'm totally <laughs> excited about it. <laughs> note, note to the listeners, both myself and Phil have been struck down or are in the processes of being struck down by some generic plague that our children have brought home um, from our different schools and nurseries and stuff. Children are just little disease monkeys. Um, they are. They really are. They really are. But... We are going to forge on with uh, episode 11 and we are going to start off by lovingly telling you all what we've been painting uh, and doing hobby-wise and we're also going to do our confessional about how much money we've spent recently. Um, So Phil, I'm not sure where you're at hobby-wise but I can start with myself. It's been a bit of a lean month. And I don't know why that is. If it's this change in weather uh, and change in season, you know, it's, it really felt like, you know, autumn was quick and then winter has suddenly arrived, but it's just drained my ability to try and paint models. So the majority that I've been able to do is put some base coat colours on about 15 bolt action miniatures. And I was able to um, to paint... Two cute little, I can't believe I'm saying the word cute, but they were really cute little pack horses uh, for another bolt action army that I needed for a tournament that I attended um, early in November. So, in essence, I'm saying that I only managed to completely paint two little horses with lots of um, baggage on them, which I think is is pretty pretty poor. It's, I mean, you say that though, but like something's better than nothing. Yes. Yes, something think, is better than nothing. I think people give themselves quite a hard time about their hobby stuff uh, unnecessarily a lot, a lot of the time. You know, uh, everybody's got real life shit that comes around from time to time. Sometimes you just get in a funk and you just can't get out of it for a while uh so yeah it's just uh like i i think as long as you get something out of the way 
or just do something uh even if it even if it's like you say just chucking some base coats on shit it's uh it's productive uh you're getting something done so no yeah. no shade on on that at all yeah i mean aside from that as well i, I have done a lot of sort of administration um for wargaming events uh coming up um you know frequent listeners of this podcast and other bolt action podcasts will often hear me talk about um the megatron 3000 i launched that event in the beginning of uh, or sorry, the middle of November um, and that event takes place in August, I'm not going to go into any great details now but it was, what's been great is that 26 out of the 46 tickets have been sold already in the space of a week um, so I'm really encouraged by that um, but again it's just started that whole administration monster that just never seems to stop until you know two days after the event's actually run um, but yeah, but that's me, Phil. What's what about you? You are the designated professional painter these days. What's what's been on your table? Yeah, so I have I've done a reasonable amount. I finished the um, human team um, that I painted on commission, so that that's done, dusted. I haven't posted any final photos of it yet on Instagram or anything. Um, but it's back with its uh, its owner, um, so that that's done. I did a, a couple other bits and bobs through the month. I finished off a test model for um, the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, battlefield uh, battles in Middle Earth or whatever it's called game, um, the Army of the Dead. So I finished and ba- I finished off that. It just involved basing it. Um, I finished my Orktober model. I did uh, the um, um, old uh, Ork musician, the one with the gong. Um, finished him up. Uh, what else did I do? I totally finished up my. No, did I finish that that during this month? Trying to think back to when we uh, when we actually recorded. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I think I had finished that one already. Yeah. So I fin- also finished up uh, to a, a playable degree. Uh, Bellacore as well. He's been sitting in a fairly unfinished state for like the best part of two years now with me on some sort of decision paralysis about painting the sword and uh, I, I finally got him to a point where I'm happy enough to use him uh, but I, the only things I need to do on him really are pick out a few final details and put the um, chains on his wings um, so that that was done I th- I think that I think that's oh and I start I've started on the next commission as well which is uh, the Games Workshop uh, Vampires, um and also a uh, role model that I'm painting for a tournament that's running in um uh God fuck where is it it's the five <laughs> five B's one um five B's. 
Where is that again? Is that the one that's in Irving? Irving. Irving. Bobby Burns Blood oh. Bowl Bash. Yeah. Sorry, I'm literally typing this into a thing. Yes, it's in Irving. Um, and that, that one's happening in May next year, but I'm painting a, a troll model for that, so um, I, I'm getting it done and dusted before the end of the year, so it's out, it's it's done and with back with the tournament organizer. Um, yeah, so that, that's a, that's about it uh, for the month. Um, and I'll be as you said productive. All, yeah, I'll be painting all the way through. Uh, the rest of November, um, and then I on commissions and stuff, and then that's me for the end of the year, um, and I will be hoping to get some of my own stuff painted, I guess, um, while I'm off work for uh, <laughs> off work the busman's holiday. I've painted my own <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, that that's most most of my. Uh, Hobby, uh, hobby painting, yeah, and uh, work painting this this month. I'm sure there's other random bits and bobs. Interspersed though with all that that painting and uh, different hobby progress. How did the wallet fare this year? This <laughs> month, sorry. Now, should, I'll guess you first. I think. Or, well, do you want to, or do you want to do me? Well, the quick thing for the listeners, new listeners. This will be a strange thing. Old listeners, you know exactly what's about to happen. Myself and Phil leave each other little clues during the month as to what we have um, spent money on. And we leave it till the podcast recording for us to guess what our um, opposite number has has spent on the hobby this month. Uh, And this all stemmed from many, many years ago when we were splashing cash out, you know, willy-nilly, and it got a bit ridiculous some months. Um, so we, we've sort of done this as a, a way to enact some sort of therapy for each other. Um, it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work. Uh, this month, though, I, well, you do me first, Phil, because I've, I've left you a few clues, I think. Yeah, you, you usually drop me a message at some point in the in the month uh, intimating that there's been some uh, some loosening of the, the purse strings. Yep. Um, you never give away any clues as to to what on or how much. So, well, well, Phil, I always like to think that you know our social medias will pop up a different alert, or you know, if if I'm looking through eBay or you know Facebook Marketplace, I'll see things that I think that you're maybe commenting <laughs> on or posting on or looking yeah. at. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I like to I like to think that there are clues in the sort of meta metaverse, if that's a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, we we definitely we definitely frequent some of the same groups. So uh, yeah. you, you will uh, you have I know you have seen me posting on at least one thing yeah. myself. Right. So as far as you're going, right? I reckon sixty-seven pounds. Oh, that's really, that's really cool. It's a bit a bit higher, and you'll you'll land on it. £69. If you creep up a chunk more, you should be £72. That's Well, that's your third guess. Yes. It is about £76 all told, ah, with close. different postage and handling. That's, that's quite a bit for you. 
It is. I mean, I know in recent months or I guess recent years, I've sort of reined the, the expenditure in, but there was, um, I needed the two pack horses. So I attended a bolt action, a one day bolt action event locally in November called Winter War. It's held in Dunfermline. And uh, I owned everything for the list except I needed two pack horses to act as toes for the artillery pieces um, that I had. And I, I didn't actually own any for this particular army for, I cannot believe I didn't own any for whatever reason. So, so I found these two sort of cute pack horses on eBay. Um, I think they were like packed ponies or something. And, you know, I had to contact the guy to say, look, I've only just realized I need these. I need these within, you know, I need these to be on my doorstep within at least five days. Can you do it? And you think eBay, you're like, the guy responded like, yep, sure, I can. And they, they arrived. They arrived the Thursday lunchtime for the event, which was on Saturday. So I needed to turn them around um, really fast. Yeah. Which, which happened. Which happened. Um, also, while I was shopping around, I've had it... Um, Oh, look, but I, I saw, it was maybe a couple months ago, actually, there was a job lot of bull action models again, but they were quite specific ones for Germany. They're the um, Volksgrenadiers, and the it's basically like the last levy, the last defenders of Berlin. So there's, you know, models for old men, ladies, children, you know, it was the, you know, the last, the last levy of, of defence that the, that the Nazis put in Berlin, and they're usually quite expensive, and they are were quite expensive. Um, but I found a job lot for them, and it included a couple of tanks. And I contacted the guy a couple of months ago to say, "Look, do you fancy doing some trade for anything?" Because you know, through tournaments, I win lots of different bits of product. And he's like, "Nah, mate, looking for the cash." And I was like, "You know what? Fair enough. Don't have the cash just now. I'll, I'll see you later." And then it was in November, I was cruising through again, the marketplace, and I saw that they were still there. So I put an offer to the guy, we negotiated a bit, and we, we, um, we made the sale, which was, was pretty cool. And I'm going to include this, whereas it's not strictly toy soldier hobby, but it is still an interest. Um, it's got to do with the um, collectible card game that was produced by a company called Precedence Publishing for the television show Battlelawn 5. Mm. I don't know if I've ever spoken about it. I'm a huge um, Babylon 5 fan. You know, I'm, I love science fiction in general, but Babylon 5 is my sort of, that's my chosen TV show to, to hang my hat on. And I was, I was big into the collectible card game that they had for it. Um, and I've still got all the cards. I can see them from where I'm sitting right now. I was... Randomly cruising on Vinted, the I think they advertise themselves as like a, a secondhand clothes shop thing, um, and I was I was just randomly posting stuff up to sell, and um, you know what it's like you got kids and they've got you know they grow out of stuff so quickly, but it's actually quite an expensive piece of clothing. You know, it's like a big winter, yeah. winter jacket or something like that, so it's not just something you. You know, you give away, and um, I just got all sort of 
nostalgic and I just punched in Babylon 5 and I thought I might, you know, get myself like a retro t-shirt or something. And then this tiny little job lot of collectible sealed, um, uh, they're not called blister packs, are they? Booster packs, that's the term. Booster packs, yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. yeah, there was this little job lot of sealed booster packs and it was like one for each expansion that came out. And um, and I just looked at it, and it was the price was it was very reasonable for what it was because I know that one of the booster packs can go for you know like um, twenty quid, but the whole bundle was going for seven pounds. So I was like, well, I'll just buy that. <laughs> it was like click buy. Um, so they arrived, and I got to open them, and I actually found a couple of cards I didn't have, which was really really cool. Right. <clears throat> um, so you know, it's not. <coughs> Excuse me, it's not, you know, toy soldier expenditure, but it's definitely hobby passion expenditure. So, yeah, all of that equated to about 76 quid. Made me feel good. That, that one definitely counts. Like, Babylon yep. 5 was underrated at the time. It, everybody kind of passed it off as a, a poor man's uh, Star Trek um, at, at the time it was out. But it definitely was not a pure bad Star Trek. There was so much good shit going on in it. No, and you know, I'll jump on the bandwagon to, to sort of underline that. It it was the first it was the first television show that had actual storylines and story arcs. And it wasn't just episodic like um like Star Trek the Next Generation was, you know, you know, first five minutes Captain Picard and his boys have got a problem. They'll spend the next 40 minutes solving it. Then the last five minutes is like, job well done. Warp speed, engage, done. Whereas Babylon 5 was the first time that there were, you know, story arcs that lasted multiple seasons to get to the end. And the great thing about it was that it was a five-year story and it lasted for five years and then it ended and then it's, that's it, it's done. Told the story, great. Um... I often, I often feel sorry for, you know, shows like um, Game of Thrones, where the ending was not very satisfying, um, or stuff like The Walking Dead. Like The Walking Dead's got a great story arc, but they they were really struggled to actually finish it and make it finish. But then it's okay, we'll just do some spin-offs. So really, you're not finished the story, are you? Yeah, um, aye, that that that's where things start to get a bit like kind of muddy. You know, you got. Aye, no, yeah, I, I, that, I like I, I like the Babylon Five vibe as well. It was it yeah. was kind of dark, it was a lot grittier and darker than uh, than Star Trek. Yeah, um, so I think that's a rabbit hole that we can maybe go down another day. Um, <laughs> Possibly, yeah. But let, I'm going to pull it back from the rabbit hole because um, there's you know there's lots of Babylon Five games and miniature games and stuff like that. So let's just pull it back, and you. You, you've got the drugs of um, Old Hammer flowing through your veins again this month, don't you? I do, but I'm just checking something out. Oh, no, no, Old Hammer still made up most of the, <laughs> the expected thing. Yep. No, yeah. So no. you, you're consistently spending over 120 quid, so I'm going to go with £130 this month. Less. <gasps> A hundred pounds? A little bit less. Ooh, okay. So we'll go with um, 
eighty-seven pounds forty. Oh no, more than that. It was uh, it was just uh, it was just under a hundred at ninety-four, ninety-seven. Right, so, the... Philip. How much happiness did you get for that? So n- not very much actually, but but still some. Um, all of it made me happy. Don't get me wrong, uh, but uh, in terms of how much physical happiness versus how much actual uh, models, uh, it was uh, a small amount. Uh, so I got what did I get? I got a, a goblin musician uh, to go along with a bunch of uh, uh, goblin archers. I got a few months ago. Um, I'd also been looking for two wood elf uh, sculpts from Marauder Miniatures um, from their range. Um, I've got, I, I've got a, I do, I want to do a, to cut a long story short here, I want to do a couple of small uh, dioramas at some point. Uh, with older models, uh, the first the first one I've got for that is the old Alpine dwarf, um, the uh, you know the old dwarf on skis, that was available for mail order, uh, at a limited run ages ago. The second one is two wood elf um, um, models, and they're just generic models, but they're like um, sort of alt cuts of each other. Um, and I'd seen that I'd, I'd kind of I've got in my mind this kind of uh, uh, twin models facing away from each other uh, with their backs uh, away from each other. So I, I've got that in my head as a little dia- uh, diorama. Uh, so I got I picked up both of those. That took me a while to get the pair of them, but both of them came along in a month, which is as the, these things do. Um, I also got the. Um, I've been on the lookout for the Nurgle uh, Palanquin, you know the um, the old one, which has got like a line of Nurglings on either side, and then like a throne, and then they had various different versions of uh, like a Nurgle champion uh, that sat in the in the throne. Um, it's not springing to mind, sadly. It it was it was a common one. Uh, it was very often um, used uh, in. There was a few of them that were used in like so the the realm of chaos books and stuff like that. Um, okay. In fact, in fact, the war band in question, uh, Luther Bubonicus uh, and his retinue, uh, it, it used one of the models uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, but I managed to get uh, to get one of those it, incomplete, uh, but um, but for significantly cheaper as a result. Uh, the only bits I'm missing are the two banners that sit at the back. And I'm not that fussed about having them, uh, in all honesty. If I saw them for a reasonable price on eBay, I'd pick them up, but otherwise not too fussed. So I got them with the the champion that I wanted um, on it. Um, I also got the the last Nurgle champion uh, out of the collection uh, that I, I hadn't got. Um, which was um he's kind of like a he's carrying a like a it looks like a musket and holding it off to the side and it's got like a halberd kind of end on on the end of it as well um sort of this weird kind of thing where the realm of chaos had uh 
its lines were blurred, I guess, and there were guns <laughs> uh, <laughs> that weren't available in Warhammer Fantasy um, and stuff like that. For the same reason that the Chaos Dwarf uh, model that I've got uh, for my sorcerer has got a hand grenade on his belt, you know, like the Realm of Chaos yeah. uh, knew no bounds in those days. Um, so yeah, I managed to pick him up. So no, I now have all of the Nurgle champions. Taken me best part of three years to get them all at prices that I was willing to pay for them at, uh, including some luck and stuff. But I, I now have them all. Um, and then my final purchase was, um, I think I've mentioned in the, um, the podcast numerous times that I like collecting uh, rules for th- different games and stuff. Um, and this is a non-GW purchase. Are you familiar with the, uh, the game Confrontation by Rackham? Yes, very, yes. Yes. Great miniatures. So, Absolutely fantastic miniatures. Yeah, the miniatures are all pretty cool. Um. So I picked up a, a copy of both the third edition rulebook and the extension for the third edition uh, rulebook, which is called Dogs of War. Uh, I got them at a, a combined price of twenty one pounds, uh, which wasn't wasn't too bad. Uh, just because I like reading all these. Th- these these things, seeing how these different games work and stuff like that, um yep. in comparison. Um so yeah, uh pretty productive month in terms of buying stuff, uh ticking th- some stuff off the the things. It would have been a lot more. I was very close to getting a copy of the Tamarkan book uh, today. Uh yeah, that's the big, big shiny red old world book thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, I mean, that's that's hundreds of pounds. Uh, well, it 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 should it generally goes for about eighty eighty to to a hundred. Yep. Um, it's crept up a little bit in the past few uh, years. Um, but yeah, I I would probably pay sort of around about that for it no no bother but the uh um the one i went uh for today sold for 92 yep. and the guy beat me in the last couple of seconds on it so Darr. uh yeah a bit bit frustrating but these things happen i will get it at some point you will i will i will achieve that one i've got a um what do I call it? A PDF of it. So I, I do have it in terms of the rules. I just uh, would like to have physically have the, yeah. uh, the copy of it. And, and it's a nice book. You know, it's one of those sort of Forge World, big black library, well printed, bound, you know, looks good in the shelf style thing. Oh, aye. It's a, it's a, it's a, a what I would call a proper Warhammer copy table book. Yes. I, I should also notice, note to yourself here, I don't know if. And to our listeners, or regular listeners, that I, every month, I flirt with danger over the fighting fantasy novels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am I am constantly looking, seeking, uh, watching, putting in the stealth bid to see if I can scoop up a few, a few bargains. Um, just because I haven't been able to physically lay my hands on my own copies of the books, which, which my mother insists. I have somewhere because she gave me all my stuff, all my childhood stuff. But mm, I'm a bit skeptical. Um, yeah, 
but yeah, I've I've um I've got quite a few sort of sitting around now. Um, I can see like ten, ten books. Skylord, Skylord, Demons of the Deep, Cavern of the Snow Witch. I've got the four sorcery books, which we've spoken about already. Freeway Fighter, which we've spoken about already. Starship Traveler, Sword of the Samurai, Temple of Terror. Um, so yeah, they're slowly but surely making their way in. So um, yeah, so every every month could be end of days, and one month I will come onto this podcast and say, Phil. I have fucked it properly. Um, what the mother load. I have spent, you know, I've splashed out the £500 on the full set. Actually, more than that. Be more than that. Some of the, anyway, that's another rabbit hole for another time. But <laughs> um, I think we're off to Greece now for the Euro Bowl 2024 rule set discussion. Yeah. So, so they have... They have released the rules set now. Whether that'll stay as the as the rules um, or not, they're probably able to tweak them a little bit. But I, I'd guess, I'd guess what we're seeing now on the uh, Europol page is is probably ninety nine point nine percent accurate for what will be yeah. played for, for rules. Um, just in case, just in case there are any of our listeners that that don't come. From a Blood Bowl background, <coughs> excuse me, Euro Bowl is held once a year in a different country around the, the world, potentially, but it's usually Europe. And it is a, a really big team event where teams of eight players, and it's one team per nation, can take part. And usually it's between sort of, what, 20 and 26 Euro, main Euro Bowl teams will attend. Um, and then on the side of that, there's a competition called the European, and that's where teams of four players can participate. And the, the different nations, when they host these events, have different um, different criteria for you know how many different teams can attend the European. You know, sometimes there's you know can be many hundreds of players. Others, it's it's less than that, depending on the venue. And so what myself and Phil are about to delve into here is the, the rule set for putting together your team and the, and the, and the races um, for Euro Bowl in Greece. Um, so yeah, so if you're experienced with um, Blood Bowl, you'll know about this. If you're not, then that is your brief overview. Sorry, Phil, yes. you can keep going. That, that yeah. is pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, as of yet, as of this date, Sunday 19th of November, there is still not an actual date for when this is taking place. Uh, all we have right now is towards the end of September, start of October. Um, and, and no location other than Greece. Athens. Well, they've said, they've said Athens but uh, in things, but like, and I think that makes sense, but as to what venue in Athens or, or the, around Athens, fuck knows. Which is a bit of a pain in the arse uh, uh, in terms of forward planning for travel for people and stuff. But uh, I'm sure they will come out fairly soon with a date uh, and everything will all be okay. I think, though, there might be this expectation that it should be held in the Acropolis. Like, is that 
big outdoor event. That's what it should be. <laughs> I don't, I don't, maybe. Uh, I don't know if uh, the Acropolis would be all over that. Um, but that would be quite cool. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we need to be mindful of. I don't know what the weather in Greece is like. Uh, in in September, September October, October. Truly, would have a clue. Yeah, um, <laughs> probably not as much of a, a fire risk as it is during the uh, uh, the summer. But um, I'd imagine it's still reasonably warm. Who well, knows? Listen, I don't know enough about uh, Greece personally myself to to say whether an outdoor event the in in the back end of September start. Well, well listen, you and I have spoken privately about Greece, so we know a lot about Greece. We just can't say much of it on here. <laughs> hey, I've got nothing against Greece. <laughs> Neither do I. I've got nothing against Greece, and especially when we start talking about the player pack and the theme they've got running through it. Asking to well, be hosted in the Acropolis, I don't think's beyond expectation here. No, I mean, given that in the first line of the rule set they mention uh, Clash of the Titans, uh, which is a exactly phenomenal, phenomenal film uh, for yes. starters. Uh, but um, yes, I mean they've definitely they've they've leaned heavily into uh, Greek mythology uh, um, within their uh, their rules pack. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna diverge a second from you here. You use the term mythology. I just look at this as Greek, Greek history. All this happened in my head. I mean, yeah. Why, <laughs> why the fuck not? This is just Greek history. But you know, don't, it's not Greek mythology. It's not made up stuff. This is, hey, you know, if, this is for real. If a good chunk of the world could uh, could stake their uh, their lives on uh, Jesus having existed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then I am fully willing to accept that uh, that there's a possibility uh, that all of this happened and, and is a thing as well. Yep. Um, but but yeah, I mean, let, should we should we get the um, should we get the band aid ripped off on, on this and just say like, I, right, I, well, lo- I love I, I love I love the the thought of what they're doing here in terms of trying to make stuff. Uh, their own, and don't get me wrong. I w- I'm going to moan about this, but it's good to see different things. Yep. But mother my fucking Christ, yeah. the wall of text. Yep. My standpoint here is that I um I played the the fumble test tournament using the uh, an iteration of this rules pack. Um, so I played uh, uh, part of a European team, and we'll talk. We'll talk about the games later on in this podcast, or at least some of them. And I enjoyed the games themselves. I was a bit. It was difficult to f- pick a team in a race, which is why I ended up just going dwarves, just so I didn't have to sort of really push push my brain power too much. But I can remember coming across some of the opposition teams, and they were they were interesting and. I could challenge, so so I think the player pack's okay from that standpoint. But when it's presented to you on the um, www.eurable.eu website, it is just a wall of text, which is just wow. I mean, on the face of it, it 
it seems complicated, but that is literally down to the fact that it is just a wall of text. So you're you're all already on a kind of hide into nothing when you start reading it. And it it's not that I, I don't think it's overly complicated. I think it actually makes sense once you start kind of going through it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but well, there are gonna be there'll there'll be a lot of people who'll read this and be like what? Well, I think this is the point where we should start to go through it, and then we can sort of slip in the commentary of where we think the positives and the negatives are. Yeah. Um, and so I'll um, just give a quick overview on the tierings. So they have broken down all the races into six tiers. Yes. Uh, tier one, they've labelled Champions of Zeus, and in there is Chaos Dwarves, Dark Elves, Dwarves, Lizards, Shambling Undead and Underworld Denizens. Now, I remember that Underworld Denizens were not Tier 1 when we did the test, and I'm pretty sure that is a promotion. Yeah, they've, they've gone up a tier, I'm sure. Yep. So then, Champions of Hera, which is Tier 2. They've got Amazons, Norse, Orcs, Skaven, Wood Elves. Um, and I think some of them actually dropped, and I'm sure Wood Elves dropped. From one to two. And I will highlight here that the Amazons, I played two Amazon teams and they were both really good. The way the skill packages got put together, they they were yeah. really um they were really quite hard. Really quite hard work. Then tier three, labelled as Champions of Poseidon, High Elves, Humans, Necromantic Horror, Tomb Kings, Elven Union and Vampires. Don't see anything horrific there. I'm surprised that humans are tier three. I always thought they would be tier two, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, tier four, um, champions of Demeter, Chaos Renegade, Corn, Old World Alliance, and Slan. I am terrified that Slan are tier four. Uh, I never played any, but some of my teammates played against the Slan. And they got some really good builds. They were really quite tricky. I'm sure we came across a team that had uh, Lizardmen, Underworld Denizens, Slan, and I want to say High Elves. Um, and they were tough work to get past. Mm -hmm. Tier 5, Champions of Hades, Black Orcs, Chaos Chosen, Imperial Nobility, and Nurgle. And then Tier 6, which is the Champions of Hestia, Goblins, Ogres, Halflings, and Zotlings. So it's the stunty tier. Yes. And so then breaking down the actual... Um, what, what do the tiers actually mean? Oh, this is where actually it's a little bit hard reading. So Tier 1, you get 1,150. Uh, and six, six SP, six, six star players points. Skill points, sorry. Skill points, yeah. Yep. So yeah, starting gold and skill points. Uh, and it's one skill point per primary skill, or if you want a secondary skill, it is two uh, skill points. So that's the currency that they've they've generated. And tiers one and two, can only have a maximum of one secondary skill. Um, 
So tier two is one one six zero and seven uh, skill points. Then it goes tier three one one seven zero eight skill points. Tier four one one eight zero nine skill points. Tier five one one nine zero ten skill points. And then tier six is twelve hundred gold and eleven skill points. Um, what are your thoughts there, Phil, for that that breakup? So I like that. It's it's not a it's not a a bad way of doing things. Um, like it's different, you know. Um, usually when you've got a um, a tiering system, the amount of money that everybody gets is the same uh but they then flesh that out with uh how many skills you get or in this case skill points but it's it's nice to see a little variant where there's like 50k's worth of difference between the uh the the, the tiers uh as you go down in 10 10k increments uh from there you know it's so i don't have a problem with that i think it's interesting could open up a few different things. Um, yeah, I think what is it? The maximum secondary skills changes a little bit as well. So one for tier one and two, two for tier three and four, and three, three for tier five, and then unlimited secondaries for tier six. So yeah. I think that that's fine as well. I mean, you're right though. This this is where things start getting. It's it's not complicated. It's just another layer uh, of things to to consider. Yeah, uh, and it's an yeah, additional but... wall of text. Yeah, um, and and remembering as well that the you know it's for the Eurobowl teams it's eight players, and then the European team it's four players. So it's trying to and not having a repetition of of a race within a team. So it's making sure that there's. You know, I want to use the word synergy, but. You know, making sure that your best players can choose their best race um, and still have a good, a good skill package that they're happy with. You know, I'm not. Um, I like the way it kind of starts making the lower tier teams viable um, in in the Euro Eurobowl setting because previous Eurobowls, it's kind of been difficult to justify taking like the lower tier stuff. Uh, because uh, you were obviously looking at playing uh, something that was very competitive and the lower tier stuff didn't get as much of a look in. So having that 1200k and 11 SP uh, for tier 6 maybe doesn't make them super competitive, uh, but certainly brings them um, closer to being properly competitive at that level. Yeah, um, and, and I'll mention as well, I'm a big fan of Tier 5, Champions of Hades, Black Orcs, yes. Imperial Nobility, Chaos Chosen, and Nurgle, all in Tier 5. This, when... like, yeah, this is a rule set. Like I I generally, I mean, I love Nurgle as a as a team, uh, but I generally won't take them to tournaments because uh, they very rarely get anything that's worth uh, <clears throat> them for. But this actually, like the tiering, actually makes them pretty viable. Uh, in tier yep. five, yeah, and the, and the same as well. Looking at tier four, the champions of Demeter, uh, Old World Alliance, Slan, um, and to a certain extent, Chaos Renegades. I I don't think Old World Alliance are up to much, but like Corn and Slan in tier four are pretty tasty. Yep. And so, uh, what 
So, so we, we agree that we like, on the whole, we like the tiering system and the yes. gifts of Apollo as they describe them, what the what um, skill points and gold you get. On top of that, there's a nice, as you would say, another wall of text. Um, the different inducements that you can have as part of your team. Um, we don't really need to actually mention any of them. No, the the gifts of Hephaestus uh, literally cover most stuff. Uh, I think the yep. only one that is missing that sucks a little bit is the riotous rookies. Uh, not yes. available. Um, which I mean, when when you're looking at things that make uh, like the lower the lower tier, certainly this this stunty stuff viable. If you're including a master chef for a hundred k for halflings, then I'm not sure. Like, uh, like denying riotous rookies at the same price is uh, is justifiable, but. Yeah, and then, and then there, there is there is one section here which I'm sure will generate some sort of response. The gifts of Dionysus. Uh, a roster cannot induce bribes if there is a player with the sneaky get and or the secret weapon skill. And um, goes on to say, goblin and stalking teams have managed to find a legal way to avoid this rule, so they can induce bribes while their roster contains players with the secret weapon skill, but not the sneaky get skill. I hate that. Yeah, I hate it too. I think it's dumb as dumb as dog shit. It's really like it really hampers teams like goblins more than it like don't don't get me started on goblin uh spite. Uh but like goblins are the mo- one of the most maligned teams in Blood Bowl at the moment. Uh and they just seem to suffer from like ridiculous stuff like this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most people aren't going to take goblins to uh, Eurobowl, I would have thought. You might see the odd team in, um, um, in the European. The European, but like, I don't see why. Like, I don't. I I know what you're saying. I don't see why it has to be there. I do. I cannot. Well, I cannot it, see a scenario that would have prompted the organisers and the pack writers to include it. I don't know what side of the bed they woke up or if you know some they were visited in their dreams by an ancient you know angry god that said no nerf that yeah it just means i mean like it it really hits it really hits those teams the only team that it starts to become that i could see it being an issue for and it and even then it isn't an issue is uh dwarves with the um death ruler uh, uh, sneaky get bribe uh, combo uh, with the death roller having a dirty player as well and yeah. um, obviously being a pretty handy uh, bit of kit on the pitch if you can keep it on with a bribe too but at the same time like that's like like nail that one uh, just say dwarves can't take it <laughs> like, yeah, and, and, and nobody would get upset if you're just targeting the dwarves. Yeah. I mean if you're looking at stuff, like it it genuinely means that um um like so the the loophole that they mention on that one is 
like they can they can induce bribes where their roster contains players with the secret weapon skill, but not the sneaky gill skit. A sneaky sneaky gill skit. Sneaky git skill. <laughs> but I mean that's a shit loophole as well, because like doesn't uh the uh goblin um what's he called? The hooligan, doesn't he not have doesn't he have sneaky git? So if you're taking him, you can't then roster a bribe. Let's just, declare, let's just declare it as dumb and move on because Aye. there's a nicer, there's a nice, another, I believe it's another nice element for the captains of the teams to, yes. to work this with. So once once a captain, be they for the Eurobowl or European competition, have got their team together and their players have picked their races, they um, the organisers have included something called the Challenge of Aphrodite. And is it? Yeah, that's what the title says. So they are giving out what are called eight squad points. And the squad points can be spent on blessings and the blessings for the Eurobowl team can be used a maximum of two times each and for the European squad they can use them a maximum of one time each and they've named them you know, the blessing of Hermes is one point the blessing of Artemis is one point the blessing of Ares is two squad points and the blessings of Athena is also two squad points and so I'm going to hand over to Phil for this point if you're comfortable talking through them Phil yeah, sure. Um, right, so there's the Spartan roster. So a coach may choose only one of the following blessings, so you can't have multiple blessings for one team. So make, make that clear. So there's the Spartan roster, which is no blessing, just a vanilla roster using the, the rules, uh, the creation rules that are listed above in the text. Um, the next one is called the Blessing of Hermes. Now this uh, is one squad point um, and uh, one or more skill points can be exchanged for gold at a ratio of 30k per one SP uh, that will not be used. This must not take the team value above 1200k before added skills. So that's that's an interesting one, giving you a little bit of extra money at the cost of uh, some um, some. Uh, well, it's effectively one one skill point as a as a primary skill. Yes, but I'm sure there would be a niche, you know, team within a tier that you know they could sacrifice a skill to get some extra money to buy. You know, if that's the difference between buying your um, maybe like your fourth blitzer or something. Yeah, you know, if well, I, if, I absolutely, yeah. You know, so so you're you're sacrificing one skill to get a piece that might come with two or three built-in skills. Um, you know that that would take a lot of research. That would take a lot of number crunching, but that that could be in there. The blessings of Hermes doesn't jump out as something straight away for me though. You know, I don't. I I hate the idea of you know giving away a skill just to get thirty thousand gold pieces. But if there's a situation where you can get a piece that's, that brings more skills to the table, it could be good. 
Yeah, I I think there are some situations where that that would be beneficial, um, but it is quite a niche one. That um, the next one up is Blessing of Artemis, uh, which is skill stacking. Uh, by losing a skill point, you're able to stack skills to players in your roster, limiting the use according to the tier. Skill stacking refers to a player with two skills added to their profile. So for tier one and two, you can have one skill stack. Uh, three and four, two skill stacks, and uh, five and six, three skill stacks. Uh, additional primary skills are the one SPP, and additional second secondary skills are two SPP, uh, two skill points. Sorry, uh, not SPP. So, yeah, you you only lose one skill point regardless of the tier you uh, you're in. Um, yeah, I I think that's okay. That's it's, an interesting one. It has got it's got some really good uses um, around sort of tier uh, five and six. I am pretty sure that I bumped into a um, skill stacked. Sorry, I saw a skill stacked chaos chosen roster, which had um, which had big guys. A couple of them had block and mighty blow. I'm pretty sure I saw. Which made them pretty scary. I think, like even stuff like uh, wood elves, where you've got you can have like a a good or a, a well stacked player, like a a war dancer or something like that. Um, I mean, they've obviously got good skills already. Yep. Um, adding a tackle strip ball or something like that onto uh, to one war dancer is is good. Yep. Maybe, um, yeah. So there's definitely stuff you can do, that, and it does get quite fruity when you when you're down in the lower tiers, like the yep. tier four, turn tier five sort of stuff. Like this is this is definitely one of those blessings where the player would be petitioning their team captain to spend squad points to let them have it. They would Aye. have to come come at you. Would have to present it to your captain. Left like this is the race I'm playing. You know I'm good. I've got this idea for this skill stack combo, um, and you know, and, and this is what I can deliver for the team. So, yeah, I would say there'd be a lot of players out there that would be petitioning their captain for for the, the blessing of Artemis to to get some skill stacking. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting sort of setup where you're right. You know, if if you had something uh, that you were keen on. Pushing, uh, that you could you could definitely make a case for it uh, for certain teams for sure. Yeah. And the good thing about it is it only costs one squad point to have that blessing, so it's not a not a huge chunk out of their budget. Yeah, and it, I mean it gives an example as well, which is quite handy. So a high elf team tier three would lose one skill point to put two skill stackings on the roster and give two of their catchers both the block and dodge skill. So that's quite a, a good rounded example, that one there. Yep. Um, so that, that one is also worth a squad point. Um, the next one up is the Blessing of Ares, which is about star players. So this one's worth two squad points. Uh, so one star player can be rostered for tier one to four teams and up to two star players can be rostered for tier five to six teams. Star players in couples 
out as two star players for the roster. So that's your like Grack and Crumbleberries, your Swift Twins, etc. Dribble and drool. Um, for every star player acquired, additional skill points cost as follows, and then it gives you the star player cost. So they've broken star players down to uh, the cost value to um, give you the amount of skill points that you, that you'd lose. So, I mean, n- up to ninety nine k, you lose one skill point. Between one hundred k and one hundred ninety nine k, two two hundred to uh, 299k three skill points and then 300 to 399k is four skill points yeah. they also list all of the star players that are not av- available they are banned uh, at Eurobowl and European yeah. um, I am not specifically for banning uh, star players however I understand why certain star players have been banned in this particular environment uh, and given uh, the swingy nature of star players in in, in games, um, I can see why in a competitive, in such a competitive environment as Eurobowl, for example, they would ban star players. As to why, as to whether they should have been banned in both Eurobowl and Europen, that's a bit more open for debate, I guess. Um, so uh, the the band star players are Griff, uh, Hackflem, Morg, Bomber, Cindy, Deep Root, Strong Branch, Creek, Estelle, Levino, uh, and Dribble and Drool and Varag Gulture. Um, yep. So it's a, quite a, an extensive amount. Now I know there's I know the reason for most of those being banned. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure I get the Estelle Levino one. Uh, I, I can't remember what her special rule is, but I'm pretty sure it'll be down to that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's an okay one. Like, I don't know that many people would go down that route, but I guess it depends on people's comfort playing with certain star players and stuff. Um all the really good ones are, are gone though. So like there are going that well there will be sort of edge cases uh, of different star players where it will be uh, they will be viable, but there's not that many, to be honest. So yeah, uh, there we go. That's that one, the star players one. And yeah. then finally, uh Blessing of Athena, which is an extra skill point. So this one's worth two squad points. Um, so one extra skill point is gained as long as the usage of the skill points from the coach does not exceed in total three times that skill in the roster, including built-in skills. This extra skill should not exceed in total three times that skill in the roster too. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Right, so uh-huh. this, this one requires an example because of the way <laughs> it's worded. Because it's, uh, it's written so drastically poorly. Yes, a, a dark elf team with four blitzers, two witches, and five line elves can have this extra skill as long as the skill points from the tier and the extra skill point from the blessing do not add the block skill because there are already more than three, but not from the skill point usage, and can add maximum one more dodge skill because there are already two in the roster, and by spending one skill point, the total number reaches three. Even the, even the example... Uh, doesn't really help. I mean, I I know what they're getting at there, but it's just uh, 
I'm I'm assuming um with these things that it's it may well be a translation thing. I I mean the gist of it the gist of it again is that if you if you get your extra skill point through this blessing, you cannot use it to take a skill over the over three of them. Yeah. And it just said that includes your base skills, so you know, at this most basic example, this Dark Elf team has got four blitzers who've got block. You can't spend that extra skill point to get block. Yeah. Because um, then, you you know, you've already got too many for that extra skill point. Um, you know, same way that if you have got, you know, Amazons, you can't buy any more dodge because you've got too much dodge already. Um, I mean... I don't think you'd need to because they've all got dodge, right? But exactly, uh, exactly. But yeah, I mean, like dwarves would be the uh, would be another example. You couldn't put block on the uh, um, the runners. runners. Yeah. Um, but what what I see with you also, this... put, you also couldn't put guard on more than three. No, players. once once you've spent it, once you've spent three guard, you can't buy yes a fourth one for it. Yes. But what I I like the blessings of Athena to get the extra skill point, and it costs two squad points for a reason, you know, because it is, it is such a good one. Um, it gives you those sort of ancillary skills that you you kind of begrudge taking, you know. If you're a example, if you're a dwarf team, which I did, you know, obviously I picked up. Or is it three guard? I put block on my runner. Um, I put Mighty Blow on both of my Troll Slayers. If I got this, or if I had to get this, you know, I'd be thinking about stuff like Kick. Um, I also came across it, I think I played at least two out of the six games I played. Had My opposition had the Blessings of Athena, and they had, um, you know, they always had a dirty player. I came across so many dirty players in the event. It was, um, I think, at least four out of six of my games there was a dirty player on the opposition side. And so using a using that extra skill point to take a skill outside of your core, the core skills that make your team work, I see has been really useful. Yeah, I mean, I I'm just this is this is one that I'm I'm. Not struggling to find a case of that interests me, uh, but I, I would find it harder to get my head around why I would want to on this one. But yeah, I yeah, kick maybe. So yeah, although they're, they're just examples, mate. There. But yeah, they're purely um, just examples. But it's <clears throat> it's having the option to take an extra skill of just a single skill that you need. Um, leader. There you go. There's a really yeah, easy one. It's totally, a reroll. Yeah. And there are some some teams, so like, for example, the, uh, like, like you say, teams where you might not normally manage to sneak in Dirty Player or Sneaky Git, uh, yeah, uh, you would be able to get them, especially if you've got cheap cheap linemen in there. Um, think, think of it uh, again this way, though, Phil. If you were taking Nurgle and you didn't have to spend your coin on buying your second reroll and you could get it through the back door through a Blessings of Athena, then all of a sudden that frees up extra cash for buying more players. 
Oh, I'm I'm to I mean on on Nurgle for for that um side of things, I'm totally taking the skill stacking. Well, again, though, it's just an example. But, but, but yeah, but yeah, uh, it does it does give you the option for yeah, uh, those things for sure. You know, if I if I was maybe a dwarf player, and I really wanted to get the death roller in, but I was coming up short on the money because I was trying to keep my, you know, how I play. I love to have three re rolls, but I could free up a re roll, get that money back put it towards a death roller, get the blessings of Athena, get an extra skill point, stick leader on my runner, um, sorry, whoever can get it, yep. to bring me back up to three. So again, this is this is a big one that the, the players will have to pitch to their captains to get because there's a lot of different variations on, on why they need it. Um, and I, I think it's... I like these, these squad, squad points and blessings. It's it just adds another layer of variation, not not too much, because there'll still be players that will have the um, Spartan roster with no blessings. They'll, they won't get any bonuses, and those players will have to, you know, tough it out when they come across a you know a tier one team that's got an extra skill or something. So that's no, good. I like it. Yeah, I think it does. It does definitely add another dimension to. To what we're what you're looking at, um, whether it whether it's necessary to have those blessings and the um, the changes in monetary value across the tiers or not, I don't know. Um, but because that that's where it gets complicated, I think. Because you're still you're 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 not only you considering the tiering because of the extra money you get. Uh, but also how you're going to fit that in uh, with uh, what blessings you take. But it is it is fine like as a concept, and I think it, it does add, like you say, that extra dimension for the captain to consider and also for the captain to um, give the, uh, the team members a bit more... Uh, leeway to do things that are maybe a little bit out of the box, which is good. Yep. You're gonna you you're gonna see some of the same stuff regardless because people are latch into the same meta. But uh, you will get some weird um, builds that will work really well because the person that's running them could make it work really well. Yeah. Yeah, that's why some of them are going to be very niche. Um, based upon the player, player style and the race they take, but it's I think it's all all for the betterment of the event. And I'm sure you said earlier in this section that it's different. It's nice to be different. Yes, and uh, it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice to be different in a positive way. Yeah, and they've obviously put a lot of thought into this. It's not been just like back a fag packet. Uh, they put the they put the the miles into it. They've done the little uh, um, practice event on fumble, and there's other ones uh, planned as well. So yeah, I, I think the the correct amount of thoughts gone into it. When I first saw the 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 thing um, for that practice event, I was like, oh my god, this is just a clusterfuck, and and I think that was primarily with my TO's hat on. 
Yeah. Uh, and I was sitting there thinking, some fucker's going to have to check like several hundred rosters uh, on this. And they're going to have to know the, the rule set inside out. And yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to have to be double checked, maybe even triple checked by multiple people <laughs> so that they're not. Uh, um, they're not letting uh, things because this is the sort of thing where there's so many layers that it could quite easily flip by uh, in a tournament and nobody notice it because people are so flummoxed by what's going on. If somebody's just putting this across to you and saying, "Well, I'm running a, a dark elf team with the blessing of Ares or or a blessing of Athena or whatever." Um, and blah blah blah, and you're just like, I okay, um, it's probably okay. But then when you've got somebody saying, uh, "Oh, I'm running the uh, what's what's a, a a much more complex one," so like a um a tier five team uh, with the blessings of Artemis. Uh, and you're kind of going through that, or the even the blessings of uh, which is the one with the um, extra skill point. Ah, uh, blessings of Athena, where you're looking at uh, kind of repetitions of skills and stuff like that, and tallying all that up, and and you've got people with different amounts of gold and stuff like that. So one of the nice things about having a set amount of money for every tier is. Uh, that you don't have to kind of number crunch on the fly as much when you've got six tiers, each with a different starting pot of gold. And then you've also got uh, the Blessing of Hermes, which can add extra gold in there. Like, when you're playing, you, it's another thing for you as a player to kind of get your head around before you start playing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're really going to have to take on faith that the rosters are being checked, so that when it's presented to you, yeah. you just read it and go, "Okay, that's what I'm dealing with." Sure, don't. I I would hate to be wasting any time trying to do the math to accept the roster. I just want to look at it and go, "Yep, yeah, okay." Yeah, and that that's where it's likely there's there's more chance of it creeping in that something will uh, be wrong. Uh, because most people will just want to get on with playing and they won't challenge it. Mm -hmm. um, and like if it's snuck through, if we get in incidents like uh, NAF Championships a couple of years ago, um, where you've got a player who's uh, close to winning the thing and it transpires they've uh, done their their math strong and, uh, and they've got an illegal roster, you know, like... That is that is vanilla TOing uh, in terms of the rules pack at its uh, easiest. Uh, extrapolate that out to something as complex as this in terms of the amount of variance in it, uh, and it starts to become much more of a problem, or could become much more of a problem rather. So yeah. Um, as a as as a TO myself, I don't fancy going through all of this uh, and going through all the rosters and trying to work out where where everything's right and wrong, and then trying to communicate that back out to captains who may well not have 
there may be a language barrier. Um, yeah. So that that's that's my that's one of aside from the wall of text making it difficult to read it and take it in. It could it could have been better broken up. I mean, in my opinion, by using a few tables and things like that rather than just text as it is. Uh, but that's just a quality of life thing. Um, yeah. I think yeah. I think the my other criticism is that it's going to be it's going to be difficult for them to be on top of, and they're going to have to be hundred percent confident that they they haven't made a mess of something here. Um. So yeah, but it's it's an interesting rule pack. Yeah, I suppose the other thing I'm, I look at here as well is that how are the officers going to be presented? To the organisers, is there a standard format? Yeah. So as as of right this minute, uh, team tournaments aren't a thing for tour play. Now, I would expect that there's been conversations between tour play and uh, um, Eurobowl people slash also NAF people as to how that could be remedied, mm-hmm. because using something like tour play would be be great. However, the problem that you have with things like tour play is that although you can do a fair amount of uh, um, like jiggery pokery with the uh, um, the tiering and the rules pack and stuff like that within tour play itself, you've still also got to do a fair. If it's wildly different from the norm, you've still got to do a fair amount of uh, visual checking. On rosters, um, if if it's just people sending in rosters, though, like as in a PDF copy, like whoever's checking those rosters is going to be roster blind after about 10, <laughs> 10 to fifteen yeah. rosters, and uh, if it's overly complicated, that's not going to help things either. In uh, in that instance, uh, well, I think I mean I hear what you're saying about tour play. But my first port of call would be they need to have some sort of Excel wizard to build it for them, and then they can send that out to each captain, and then they can input the the teams into an Excel and send it back. Yeah, so I mean, and and the Excel should be built in such a way that they 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 cannot input out an an illegal roster. Yes, so I mean that that would be something that uh, could quite easily. Say quite easily. That's that's an understatement or an overstatement, yeah. whichever one, right? It could uh, could be applied to both uh, tour play, which is effectively a spreadsheet or a set of spreadsheets behind a, a nice UI, or somebody just working on a spreadsheet thing where uh, you've got count ifs and x y z equals and blah blah blah, and it, and like you say, it just. Uh, Throwing up a red if it's an invalid roster. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll get something around that. But I mean, even even so, even even if you've got that in place, you should. There will still have to be manual checking done mm-hmm. uh, because uh, spreadsheets can break. Spreadsheets can be broken, and. Uh, Tour play uh, could be at the mercy of whoever has been inputting the uh, the requirements, getting uh, and their understanding of the 
of the rules. So yeah. I don't know. I it's a it's a difficult one to handle. Uh, I don't think it's impossible, and I think uh, they'll obviously do their best to to make sure there's no fuck ups or anything like that. I'm sure they will. Um, but it's it's an extra layer of difficulty that they've kind of given themselves. Um, that a tournament of that scale might might not help. So it'd be good to see what they come out with, like you say, for putting in the rosters there. Yep. But let's not put any pressure on them other than set a date, set a venue. Oh, just get the date out for fuck's sake. Like, Do that first. I mean, flights are already on sale for for Greece, and if it's in September, October, you're clashing with a lot of uh, school holiday times for a lot of places. Yep. So uh, flights are already going uh, and then they'll just get more and more expensive as they become more scarce. So and the other thing as I well is that if, if they don't set a date for this thing, you know, they're going to end up clashing with local events that are already preset and booked. Yeah, I mean, most people, most people will go out of their way to try and avoid weekends that this thing's happening. Like uh, my own uh, tournament is happening later in October, but like if they push it back to late October, it might clash with mine, and I just have to accept that that's the case. It would be great if they were a bit more uh, on the money with that, and you would, given the size of the potential for the tournament, you would kind of hope that they they'd nailed on a venue, uh, and in which if they've nailed on a venue, they've nailed on the date as well uh, by yeah. this time, because they need them as much time as possible to get it right. And most big venues have got their their itinerary and calendars booked out several years in advance a lot of the time so yeah very much so um yeah that sort of thing as a person that that sort of thing doesn't fill me with confidence uh but there will be reasons they know why i just i i was hoping that they would have it communicated a day out uh either just before the world cup or or just after it and uh like it's a shame that they haven't um uh which i'm sure no doubt by the by the time we've put this podcast out the 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 date will be well known yeah i think, I think i've seen I've, I've seen three weekends floated date wise uh so far um the last weekend in september and the first two in october so it'll it'll likely be one of those three um yeah. Yeah, so oh, well. yeah, so so looks good. So, listeners, let's head off to the old world. So, our section, I on the old world. Both myself and Phil are very passionate square-based battlers from a long time ago, and with the promise of Warhammer, the old world, but it's been floating around for several years. Um, we've we've been keeping an eye on it, but things are. Fast, fast, keeping fast moving, fast to pace. Yes. Moving quickly. Um, so there's been several announcements over the past uh, couple of months. And I think it's safe to say we are going to say that they are looking at the first quarter of 2024 for a release now, aren't they? Yeah, so they've said early 2024, uh, so there's no firm date on that. Uh, 
as of yet, but I, I would imagine we're talking sort of late January, early February, unless there's any issues. Um, I would, I would expect, but yeah, that that's not that far away. No, nope. um, and I, I would expect that we would see the an announcement on date sooner rather than later, because I, I, I think they were looking to get the. Uh, Fuck! What's the new epic thing called? Uh, oh, the thirty k legion epic thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that just went up for pre order this past weekend. Um, so once they've got that out of the way, I'd imagine we'll see uh, a date. Uh, um, I was also hoping that we might see the date at uh, the world championships uh, preview, but. Unfortunately, we didn't get there, but we did see some stuff uh, for that at that point. Um, but other than that, we've had three um, old world almanacs about rules. Uh, three. Yeah. There was another one coming, uh, which unfortunately we won't uh, cover in this podcast. But um, we will briefly touch on the three that have come out so far. Yeah. So the first one that came out was doing a, a sort of brief broad stroke of the game structure, and they were yeah. looking at the they were looking at the turn sequence, and you know the way it reads, well, you know the turn sequence, you know phase one, the strategy phase, and during the strategy phase, the active player attempts to cast enchantments and hex spells. Uh, and make use of certain special rules before they attempt to rally any fleeing units. Phase two, movement phase, uh, starts with any declaration of charges and charge reactions. Then you move your charging units, and then you do your compulsory movements, and then after that there's any other movement when um, cast what, what are called conveyance spells. Phase three, shooting phase, Active player um, that have, that's got units with missile weapons, war machines, uh, and magic spells, magic missile, uh, vortex spells, etc. That's when all that happens. And then uh, the fourth phase is the combat phase. So I guess this is exactly where you carry out the, the hand-to-hand combat of the, the charges. Wizards attempt to cast any assailment spells, as that mentions. And then... Uh, at the end of that phase, you resolve the combats um, to see who stays and flees and who gets wiped out. Yeah, so that, that's the that's the basic turn sequence yeah. I, I, for that. And like each of the articles that have been out so far covers uh, the uh, a phase uh, of that. Um, yeah. Uh, the first one covering the strategy phase, which and they've, and they've got some decent examples of things um, in there uh, or sort of stuff that would be applicable so like uh, tests of things uh, like uh, stupidity tests um, for stone trolls and night goblin uh, stone trolls and thing, things like that uh, would happen dur- during that uh, that phase uh, things like Night Goblin fanatics would be revealed at that point uh, as well, and then you've got shit like uh, checking victory conditions and stuff. That that's something that's common across uh, across 
stuff other other systems now as well. Um, yeah, I don't have a I don't have a problem with any of the stuff that I read for this this sort of stage. You know, it's uh, it's all fairly common. Well, what what my takeaway from this was when it came out and I read through it. I was happy that it read like a version of Warhammer Fantasy. The different yes. phases and then the, the sub steps within those phases and the order in which you know they happen. And it gave me a nice comfortable feeling that's like, right, nobody's trying to reinvent the wheel here. They've looked at the you know, what can be in a phase. Um it's not trying to be anything strange. And it was nice to read stuff like, um, you know, when they're doing the over phase of the turn sequence, uh, phase two, movement phase, starts with declare charges. Fuck yeah. You know, it's yeah. just little things like that where you're, you are literally the general issuing the orders of, you know, okay, you go fucking fight, charge, charge, charge. And it's declaring the orders and then having to act on them. Um, and I know that sounds funny, but I'll refer back to bolt action, where you, you know, you'll, you'll pick a unit, declare the charge, move the charge, resolve the combat, and do everything with that unit before you go on to another unit so that you know how the battlefield has already been impacted. Yes. Whereas here, you have to issue the orders and, and just do it. Yeah, aye. Th there's some, there's some good, good kind of synergies across across the different turns as well. Like they make a a, dis a point of uh, stating that there's no magic phase and that uh, magic stuff uh, happens within each of the phases. Um, so. Uh, they've got some examples of that. So I actually quite like that. That's more co uh, in common with uh, like um, some of the stuff that happens in like Age of Sigmar and 40k now. You know, like all, 40k doesn't really have like m magic or psychic phases anymore. It's that they're all baked into individual kind of actions that happen within sections <coughs> of things. So yeah, this, yeah, I I can agree with that. I suppose you know I liked the magic phase, the winds of magic, the dealing of the cards or, you know, counting up how many power dice you had. And it was almost like its own little mini game of poker within a game, but I'm equally not as put off by the system that looks like it's going to be appearing here where there are, um, magic is interwoven through all the phases. So, yeah, I think in, I, I do agree with you. There was something kind of nice about having the cards and stuff like that and the way that that worked uh, in some of the additions. Um, but yeah, equally like you, I'm, 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 ha I'm happy enough and fine with, with there being magic all the way through the, the, the turn, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, it does make sense in terms of how it works. So it's all it's all pretty cool with that, you know. One of the other things I'll say here is that I I love the artwork that's appearing uh, and stuff. Uh, we're chatting about this particular one, which came out the thirtieth of October, and uh, sort of about a 
a third down the way there is a picture of two river trolls uh oh, yeah. empire guys with one of the river trolls vomiting uh all over a couple of them uh holding their eyes uh where it's bit they've been spewed on and it's just cool like it's awesome yeah. seeing stuff like, i don't even know if that's an old picture or whether it's a new one but oh uh, that's old mate that, that is a very old picture i have i've seen that many times it is it is a good one uh yeah. regardless uh seeing all the art from from these things so yeah um the other articles cover so the the next one covers the movement phases which has got some cool stuff about formations in there. Um, yep. Again, think... though, it's it's language and text that really solidifies, you know, Warhammer Fantasy style play. Yes. And the the little diagrams they've got of the lands formation, close order and open order and skirmish and stuff like that. It's like, yep, that's that's what we want. Yeah, and it's cool stuff like the combat order versus marching columns as well. You know, like you, your marching column uh, is deeper, but um, allows you. I'm pretty sure they said something about uh, while they're in uh, marching, there they move uh, faster. Yeah. Wait. Um, when you when they need to move rapidly, units can adopt the marching column, reforming into a shape that's deeper than it is wide. A unit formed this way may not charge an original rank bonus in combat, but it can move at triple speed. So, it, like it's stuff like that, you know. It's it's all it all adds to the kind of tactical uh, element of it. Um, yep. Like like you say, skirmishing and open order and stuff like that. And then it breaks down the movement phase, and and I do think like like you like. One of the first things in the in the thing being declaring charges is pretty cool. You know, you, you tend to in all the other games, the charging part's the end of it, which doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, so I, I like the getting the charge declared charges out the, at the start. That's cool. Yep. Um, I've got a really great diagram on the mechanics of moving. And wheeling, yes, I was I was going to say that next. Yeah, yep. how that works is is good. The diagrams definitely make a difference here, um, and they're well done. I think it'll be interesting to see if these ones appear in the the rule book. Um, I'm I'm assuming they will. Um, yeah, these these look like nice lifts straight from a yeah. straight from a rule book. Um, and if that is <laughs> if that is the case, that's a good thing yep. for sure. The other great thing as well is looking at this, the sort of cavalry unit as it wheels around an obstacle, um, it leans itself into you having a good movement tree. Yeah. I, to do this. I think movement trays are going to be fairly essential for block movements. Um, obviously, if you're skirmishing, it's a little bit different. But um, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're moving people in number, um, getting them to to work in terms of wheeling and stuff like that yeah a movement tray is a an essential thing yeah and then the third 
protection is all about shooting. Um, which again, like, it's very like old school in terms of the way it works. Uh, where you get your ballistic skills, uh, but you've also got like a. I actually quite like this, the, the ballistic skill of six or higher. Um, if a model has ballistic skill of six or higher, it gains a re-roll should it fail to hit whilst shooting. So the second roll usually has a lower chance of hitting, but yep. on the table below the first target number given is for the first roll, the second is the target number when re-rolling. Uh, so you've got a two plus six plus if you're on a ballistic skill of six, uh, going through to a two plus two plus if you're a ballistic skill of ten. Mm -hmm. stuff like stuff like that adds together to make things interesting uh, they've got the to wound uh, chart which is uh, your toughness versus the weapon strength um, all that sort of stuff armor penetrations in there as well um, yeah. but it's it's sticking to the classic maths of um, you know the blessed skill we're all to hit it's total seven Blessed yes. skill one, you need a six plus. Blessed skill two, you need a five plus. Blessed skill three, you need a four plus. I yes. love seeing, I love seeing that classic, classic stuff. Um, and and to reaffirm or to, to sort of support as well as well what you're saying about the the higher blessed skills. You know, once upon a time, being blessed skill eight was just a number because if you rolled a one, you failed. Didn't matter. Yes. Whereas now it's got it's got value for being being better um, yeah. and you can, and you can imagine that when you get to um, weapon skill it's going to be similar yeah maybe I think um, if, I, I would be surprised if it wasn't um, I do like the the fact that it's a different number as well and it's not just like a straight reroll or like you need a 2 plus to hit uh, okay well it's another 2 plus but uh, um, you kind of want that that kind of reroll to be uh, not as good because your uh, the odds are lower. You know, it's yeah. No, I I like all of that. It's smart. It's well thought out. Um, yeah. um and it'll be interesting to see what the the fighting fighting stuff's about. Uh, the hand fighting. Well, uh, the, you're right, because you know, there's obviously there's those armies that are better at ballistics than, than others. You know, you, you you think of the Wood Elves, Wood Elf Archers and High Elf Archers are, high elves, so, yeah. are notoriously absolutely brilliant at archery. But then you've um, got like the, uh, the sort of bog standard stuff uh, where archery is just not a thing. Uh, yep. So yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all balances out. Um in in context once we've got more army related uh rules uh yeah. but yeah there's there's loads of good shit in here and this is where you get um, your magic missiles and shit like that as well so if you're if you're chucking off a fireball or what have you uh this is where that happens um as part of that yeah how know, good was it how good was it seeing the to win chart strength versus toughness Loads good. Such a warm feeling. <laughs> yes, it, it 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 definitely makes a it's a it's a, a good visual that I I I do. I'm so excited. Yeah. 
uh, every, everything like everything I've seen so far, I there's been nothing that's been like ah, I don't like this. I'm okay. this is gonna be a bad feeling. Um, it's all been stuff that I've kind of sat there and thought, oh no, that's cool. That makes sense. You know, like yeah. If this game starts out in a way that, um, like Horus Heresy did for forty k, where it's a bit more complex, is but there's less um, of a a cash grab in the same way that there is with forty k. Um, in that, although the models are more expensive, people are still using the same shit for the most part. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of. I, I like that. I mean, it, it may be that I just end up buying the, the rule books, uh, which is, I would be fine with. I don't necessarily need to buy a new army or what have you, but um, I think this, this, this will cater to most people who are even borderline interested in it in some sort of way or another. Well, what I am hoping for is that this edition of the Old World is the only edition of the Old World. Uh, I I I don't know about that. I, I think it'll it, the way that they work their stuff. I think you'll see um, it advance with the um, the book structure. So there will be like a a main rule book, and then you will get your uh, a campaign book or something like that will appear with new new stuff. I don't think. I'm I'm reluctant to say there'll be like um battle tomes or codexes for individual um armies. I think you'll be buying into a book system. Uh, and then that's okay. But you know, you mentioned the Horus Heresy, and to the best of my knowledge, there only ever has been one edition of that game. Uh no, well Kind of. I, I guess they're kind of in the second edition now, because ish. It's 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 yeah. It's not quite that. that that's not a a simple one to kind of break apart. But uh, yes, it will be less like uh, the uh, the forty k Age of Sigmar uh, thing, where you've got a new edition every three to four years. I think. I I would hate that. I would hate yeah. that a lot. And, and I. I don't mind buying into a book system where things are released uh, periodically. Um, what I wouldn't like is uh, the books to be released too quickly, uh, but I want to have um, a decent balance across the armies if it is a long period between them, because you know it's like the shiny shiny gets good shit and then everybody else has to suck it up. It's happened with 40k with uh, the new codexes that have come out while everybody else is still using the, the indexes. Mm-hmm. Um, like we are like my, I, I run Chaos Demons which are pretty dog shit in comparison to uh, some of the other ones, especially when you just run it as a solo um, uh, Chaos God uh, set up. Um, um, but then you've got Tyranids who are really, really strong codex-wise versus a lot of the non-codex stuff, uh, and it's just that the new thing gets balanced out as 
time goes on, but that happens quite quickly in 40k. Uh, because the codexes are coming like like four a quarter or whatever it is, uh, or three a quarter. Um, whereas I have a feeling that there won't be that speed in the um, uh, old world. Uh, yep. You'll get maybe a book a year or maybe a book every six months, which yep. I would be fine with personally. But uh, if 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 that. I, made for like Tomb Kings and Bretonians being OP early doors and everybody else being fairly um, run of the mill uh, and then you having to wait a year for everybody else to kind of catch up. I don't know. Just but... looking back to the the latest article, they've got a few examples of the different um, spells. And you can we can extract the you know the the different um, schools of magic. So you've got battle magic, demonology, that sort of thing. But we're not going to. I don't think we're going to get cards, power cards, because it's got a casting value. So I think we're going to be on power dice. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It'll be on. It'll be on dice. I think um, very much the same as. Um, as Age of Sigmar is, you know, you have a value to beat, and there'll be, I'd, yeah. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if uh, can't dispel on the opposite side if you beat that uh, the value that the person's rolled. Yeah. So, um, I don't mind that, was, that. That works. That works quite nicely in some. Yeah, I'm aspects. okay with that. But I, I have to admit, I really do miss the Winds of Magic cards. Yeah. You know, yeah. When you I mean, and. And you had Dispel and uh, what, not, what was it called? Ultimate Force. But there was, yeah, that... That, there, was, there was all that wild card that if you played a spell using this card that could not be could not be cancelled, it could not be stopped. I've always loved that stuff. Yeah, I mean I think the Winds of Magic thing was much more swingy which wasn't necessarily a bad thing because uh, it made for some good narrative style games. But um, I don't know. I think the the dice thing and the ability to dispel works m- maybe a little bit in that manner, works maybe a little bit better competitively. I, I don't know. It, I, I like I like both. Uh, so and maybe I I wouldn't want to kind of have to argue for either of them in, in favour because I'm quite I'm, I'm quite happy with either to be fair. Yeah. Uh, if they'd have come back, if they'd have come out and said, "Oh, this is a system based on cards, uh, and you draw X, Y, and Z," I'd have been fine with that too. So, uh, like, I'm just stoked that it's coming back. Like, yeah. My my level of excitement uh, notches up every time I see something new. Um, and the combat phase is the one that's up next uh, in terms of articles. Um, I'm even not that bothered that most of the armies I'm interested in playing are going to be these kind of uh, legacy armies that won't get the support. Uh, like it, that feels that feels the same as the old uh, Ravening Horde style book, where you just get on. I, I guess it's still the same as the it's the same concept as the index versus codex in 40k. Um, but in this context, uh, where 
fantasies not been a thing other than just play with your mates with our, with old rule sets. I honestly don't really even mind that uh, like my chaos dwarves aren't going to be like the most optimal uh, no. out the box anymore because there'll be new uh, the, the majority of of the work will go into making the key or core factions uh, the the ones that are getting the the, the new shit. Uh, it's just the fact that it's on the way, mate. I'm excited. I just want to be able to play them. I, I'm looking forward to being able to play it. Um, I'll be interested to see what the. Um, like, Excuse fact, me, sorry, I couldn't hold that sneeze in. Bonus sneeze. I think oh. the only the only thing um, that that sort of tweaked my interest negatively was the potential sizes of uh, of units. And it, a lot of that depends on how many or how how many points things cost, because uh, that that was the one of the the things I didn't like about the latter uh, Warhammer ones, where it just felt like uh, you had like had to have like massive armies, um, and. While that's okay for kind of one-offs and stuff, the majority of people just want to pick up a a force and play a, a reasonable point value. Um, so well, it, well, it depends how that works. Um, well, as we're talking about models, I mean, that latest review from the World Championships there was a whole lot of Tomb King stuff, including the um, some sort of weird-looking bone dragon type thing. Yeah, I think in fact they only showed they only showed one thing really. The rest of the stuff's all kind of the old. Uh, uh, it was all old kits, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So they've got this uh, um, necrolith bone dragon, um, which is buildable as either um, like a high priest or as a uh, tomb king monarch. Um, yeah. See, now, because you were talking about models before, you were talking about numbers of models. I really hope the old model doesn't go down the path that the tail end of Warhammer Fantasy did and the style that continued on into Age of Sigmar with these enormous things that you cannot transport. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure this this that this will not uh, this particular model is not for you then because it's fucking it looks oh, fucking massive. I I agree. That's why I'm looking at it thinking, oh, great. I mean, I'm trying to work out what size of base that is, but I mean, judging by the size of uh, the Tomb King on the top, I mean that's that's a big that's a big dragon, and you don't get the you don't get the scale of it from the front thing it's when you see it side on in the video it's like it that, that hammers home exactly how big it is um it i don't know if i made this comment to you or made it in in the 40k chat but it also looks significantly more breakable than the metal dragons that used to fall to bits uh, <laughs> if you just looked at them um just because of the amount of things that are sticking out now like I do. I don't dislike the model. It it, it it's fine. Um, but I have I have a couple of gripes with it, uh, which I will air right now. I Gripe fucking hate, I hate the wings. Like 
I like the crocodilian aspect of it. So it's very low slung to the ground. It's got a very kind of, it's got more of a snout than a, a classic dragon. It's less, it's, it looks more kind of bulky in its bone structure. And that kind of harkens back, I guess, to more like the Cargaross uh, style dragon uh, from uh, early dragons in, in fantasy. But why put the wings on it? I would lean into the fact that it's a crocodile style thing and just make it a wingless dragon. Just yoink the wings off that. It suddenly becomes a little bit more tra easily transportable without the wings on it. Um, I don't think the wings add anything. And the other gripe I have here is that uh, as far as I'm aware, Tomb Kings weren't overly fussed with the old... Uh, um, like reanimating, like skeleton stuff. They were more about the uh, um, animating objects, like the uh, war sphinxes and stuff, and ne necro sphinx stuff like that. So it doesn't really. It jars a little bit with me. I I would have loved to have seen that. Um, top piece on the back of a, a war sphinx mm. also and wild that um in not in the howder kind of version uh where you've got the um the priest but in the other version the thing he's riding in would make a fucking awesome chariot yeah <laughs> Just chuck some wheels on that, put a couple of bony skeleton horses on the front of it, and that would yep. be a fucking awesome model. Uh, and you've that just is... got... yep. Yeah, you just got a big whacking great dragon attached underneath it instead. Yeah, just snip it off, then all of a sudden, as you say, chariot, and then you've got another drag, just that dragon running around. Yeah, no, I... you're 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 right, but. I mean, the way it looks, it looks and feels Tomb Kings, which is good. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't jar too much um, in terms of it, it. It does still have the aesthetic and things like that, you know. And I'm not against it. Is it a nice model? Yeah, why not? I don't I don't dislike it. Will I buy it? No. Um, ah, but, but the I'm reason sure. you won't buy it is because you're you don't play Tomb Kings. But I might though. Uh, <laughs> It depends on the other models. Um, like some of the Tomb King stuff that I've seen uh, outside of that look pretty cool. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I don't think I would buy that particular one though. I, I, if I, I was surprised when they showed that. I was hoping for like Setra in a chariot, basically. Um, yeah. And we've kind of half got that if you take the dragon out of the equation. Um, if you'd have chucked, if you'd have chucked the the top part and told me that was Setra in a chariot, I would have been like, "I'm in." I like that. <laughs> it's uh, it's not. I, I'm I'm ragging on it a bit a bit here, but it's it's still it's still a nice model. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they bring back because uh, of the old stuff. Because almost all the stuff that was in the um, um, 
video that went along with that was like old Tomb King's um, skeleton kits and stuff. Uh, most of which were plastic at that kind of age for the ones that they were showing, which is fine. They were still fiddly as fuck to put together, though. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah. But the newer stuff carries on the same aesthetic, which I think is yes. important. Yeah, because they have much. always said that they're not going to be re-releasing every sort of new new kit. The older kits are going to come back in different, you know, maybe repackaged or retooled, but they'll they'll still be the same sculpts. But yeah, I mean, I was hoping okay. I was hoping for most of the 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 kind of um, faction relaunches, like the main core factions, you would get. Some updated characters or centerpiece models, which is which is fine. I was expecting that for each of them, but also an updated core unit. So yeah. you got you got that with the uh, um, with the Bretonians. So the fingers crossed that uh, although they've shown like old Tomb Kings uh, models in that, that there may well be an updated um, unit within within that. Even if I mean updated uh, cavalry would be pretty cool because the the old skeletal horses show their age a lot more than the old yes. uh, skeletons. Uh, in that some of the more recent skeletal horses have looked really cool, you know, like from the soul blight uh, side of things. Um, so, I in Age of Sigmar. So yeah, it'll be cool to see where they go with that, and then. Like I say, everything I've seen so far has been a promising thing. I agree with you on the size of that thing, though. Like I, I don't know how big that base is, but it's not a small one. Yeah, listen, you know, we're about to finish up our I in the old world section, but I really hope they just don't give enormous big miniatures like this to every army. Don't they? Don't they? Don't need to be done. You know, if if they do something for like dwarves, and there's some sort of enormous war machine thing, like nah, just bend that. It's all about rank. It should be about rank and file models. Part of me wants to see something like the old dwarf juggernaut. Now that there's the chaos dwarf juggernaut, which is the vertical of siege tower pushed by the boar centaurs, but there's also the the dwarf juggernaut, which is a, a lower profile. Uh, I I'm, I guess maybe a, a slight precursor to things like the steam tank and stuff like that. I would I would be happy to see something like that in the dwarf army because it's thematic. But I again. Equally happy if you just got an updated, uh, um, like dwarf thane on a anvil. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would be that'd be fine for me, you know. Like it's, uh, um, all of that's cool. But I mean, what was the centerpiece ones that we'd seen for Bretonia? Uh, you got the lady, lady Elise, on yeah. her unicorn. That doesn't look overly big. Uh, that looks like a fifty mil base or something like that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some some non-big st- size stuff in the Bretonian things. So that's that's promising. Yeah. Well, let's 
let's leave the old world. I know that next um, in our next episode, that's just going to be our yearly, our year in review. But I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about what's come up for the old world in between then and now. Yeah, absolutely. So our last section for this episode is uh, just myself and Phil are going to talk about a little bit um, about the different games that we've played, any events that we've attended, and just to keep it light, keep it bright. Make sure you all know that we still do roll dice. Um, so, Phil, what have you done between between episodes, mate? What's what's your activity levels been like? Well, most of my October gaming was taken up by uh, Granite Bowl, um, the tournament I run in Aberdeen, Blood Bowl tournament that is. So that happened uh, back end of October. Uh, it was 40 people on the day, which is good. Um, people from as far afield as Yorkshire um, and uh, further further down south in Scotland as well. We had some guys travel up from Dumfries, which is good. That's a long trek to Aberdeen. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was well attended. It was a fun day. Uh, uh, Ryan... Uh, Morneval uh, one on the day with uh, Chaos Dwarves, uh, um, which was good. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it. I think it all went fine, um, and we had some great prize support from uh, Army Painter, uh, Doc Miniature, um, Granite Miniatures, myself, um, and it just. It was a. Uh, it was good to get out of the way. And you're the same as me, I'm sure. You just uh, a lot of work goes into these things, plugging it, making sure the rules pack's fine. Uh, I get. I only get anxious within the first uh, uh, sort of or the last week before uh, a tournament, uh, and I'd got to a point where I knew everything was going to be okay, and the only thing I was going to wor- be worried about was. Um, whether people would just not turn up on the day and I would have to play and then run the risk of winning my own tournament again. Uh, so that, thankfully I didn't have to play, I didn't win, so that that, that, that was all good. Uh, the only other thing I played was a game of 40k at the weekend past um, myself um, and um, uh, Gordon Huntley Loon uh combined forces as uh Nurgle Demons and Death Guard against uh Mike uh Grumpy Maestro and his Tyranids uh in a three thousand point uh battle. Um it was long. Um it myself and Gordon uh, Gordon was running Death Guard for the first time in the new rules it was only my second, third, my third game of uh, of forty k in the new rules. Those two have played a few more than me, so things were getting forgotten left, right, and centre, uh, like buffs and stuff like that uh, for things that would have made a difference. Uh, myself and Gordon made a, mis- a few mistakes towards the end, uh, which cost us pretty dearly, and we lost. Um, but it was a good learning experience. Um, Mike's met at the shit of his armies. So he knows what he's, <laughs> he's got. He's uh, crunched all the numbers and 
I'm just not like that. I I prefer kind of the sort of more narrative side of things. Hence why I'm running just pure Nurgle demons and have nothing from any of the other chaos gods and amongst my stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, it was it was still a good game. It was good to play, and uh, I'm 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 not. I don't dislike tenth. I like tenth more than ninth. Um, do I like it more than eighth? Not yet. I think it's got potential to be uh, better than eighth, uh, but it's still too early. We need to see what they start doing with all the different codexes and how things balance a bit better. Like uh, the roadmap that we've seen for it shows a few ones coming out uh, at the start of next year, which are, will be fine. But like none of the stuff I play will get. A uh, codex anytime soon. I I I would imagine be lucky if we see the stuff I play next year. It'd probably be the following year, which is a pest because it means I'll be rocking index shit uh, while everybody else has got a brand new codex or a codex that has been balanced well over points changes. So yeah, um, still a positive experience though, and, and like I said, it's better than better than ninth was, which was just a sprawling mess, uh, really. So, but that, that's about it. I haven't played any Blood Bowl. I'm going to Jingle Bowl, uh, Jingle Bell Bowl next weekend um, and running Vampires at that. But that that's that's it for me. No League stuff, no online stuff. How about yourself? What have you been doing? Well, I had the, I had the tail end of the Eurobowl Fumble Test event on... Um... And I can't remember what I reported in last time, but uh, I finished off the last round. So going into the last round, I'd had five draws using my dwarfs, which is pretty good, actually. I was pretty happy. But the last round, I drew another Amazon team. And, you know, listeners might remember that the first Amazon team I bumped into in the Euro, Euro Bowl event, I, I really struggled with. Um, and I really struggled again. But it was one of those classic matchups. Dwarfs, Zones. Okay. Um, I KO'd seven Amazon players and they always all came back. Yeah. It was absolutely... It was so frustrating. Um, and my opponent was just sneaking on the odd removal now here and there. Um, but my removal, the removals he got on me were permanent. So um, I ended up losing that last game. So I went five draws, one loss. And that put our team, we were the best Scottish team. Think of the four Scottish teams that took part. Uh And I'm sure our team stuck into like the top half um, in the results. So I wasn't too upset by that. Um, As as it's a team game and we did, I think, as well as we could have done. Uh, I also, though, had to play Stripey Dave in the Snail Cup online. And I think, no, I know I went into that game with the wrong mindset. Because uh, I'd been playing, you know, five, we'll call them serious games of Blood Bowl uh, for a competition event. And in my head, I was like, oh, look, let's just get back to a league game and have some fun. And I, I just didn't play properly. I was doing stupid things. 
all my positional stuff was out of whack and I, I lost that game <coughs> quite convincingly, which was a shame. Um, I was a bit disappointed in myself afterwards. But on the actual physical tabletop side, I attended the full action team event called World Open War, held in Southend in England. Um, so 21st weekend of the 21st of October, I was the captain of Scotland. And uh, that was that was as, as high-end full-action event as you could possibly get. So it was groups on day one, and we were in with um, Germany 2, Denmark 2, and Spain. And Spain are the current reigning world champions. So, you know, quality side, we've played them before. They're very good. Um, but the format meant that at the end of day one, based upon your results, you would be put into a new group for day two. So if you were if you won your group on day one, you would be put into the champions group, and the champions group played for the main overall prize. And then group two on the second day would comprise of everybody that finished in second place. Then group three, group four, etc. You get the idea. Yeah. So. We um, we played Germany 2 and Denmark 2 in the first two rounds. And we knew we were going to be facing Spain in the last round, so we wanted to make sure we had as many points as we could before we met Spain. And what actually transpired was that both Scotland and Spain were on 18 points out of a maximum of 20 available at that stage when we went head-to-head. So whoever would win that round would win the group, and sadly we lost. Um, it was it, we were in teams of three, so we got one win and two losses. But you know we were the world champions, and they are the world champions for a reason. They're extremely good. Um, but we were happy to be in the the second group uh, for day two, and in day two we um, we faced off against the USA, Poland. And the and Spain too. Spain had two teams. Again, an excellent team. They've got they've got a real depth of um, depth of player in Spain. But we managed to win all three rounds, and we won our group. So winning group two meant that for the event in twenty twenty four, we would be given one of the top four seeds, um, which was a great achievement, and we got uh, we got a trophy. Because each group on day two played for their own sort of their own trophy, so we won the second second group trophy. So it was a great result for for Scotland as a team, and I think it was the maximum that we could have got. And to get that top seeding for next year's event is is, is a really good good blessing for us. So um, I enjoyed that thoroughly. Then on a local level. Another tabletop event um, called Winter War for Bolt Action. This was the last local event for the year. And the player pack was based upon the World Team Championship event. It's another team event that happens in Spain in February next year. Very competitive player pack. Uh, and, and a long story short, I won all three games and won the event, which was... Uh, what I was really aiming to do because I needed to make sure of my own qualification for Scotland's bolt action team events next year and that, that solidified my qualification of it. 
so I was happy to to put in three really hard games and um, and take home the first place trophy. And I also won a trophy for providing the best table of scenery, and I won the trophy for being the best American army. So it was quite cool to come away with you know an armful of trophies and certificates um, for the last event of the year. So um, that was Winter War held in Dunfermline in Scotland. So. Um, that was excellent. I've, so it's been a very busy game inside, and I think that's maybe what's contributed to my lack of hobby. Um, I'm just feeling a bit burnt out. And especially at the end of the year, I look back. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, our next episode will do the looking back, but looking back, I can see, you know, three first place trophies for bolt action events, the World Open War trophy. Um, it's been another hard year, but fun. But yeah, that's my game inside, mate. I'm gamed out. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, what? Just just to close things off for the the end of the episode, though. What 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 have you got coming up? Um, anything in the last month or nothing? That you just uh. No, I might. I might arrange a casual game of bolt action sometime early in December. Um, but in terms of tournaments, competitiveness, that's it. I am I'm shutting up short for the year. If I'm going to play any other game, it's going to be for fun and for laughs. Yeah. And for the company, I am I am part of a year. It's been a good one. Done. Yes. Good. Uh, you, you mentioned Jingle all the way, but uh, yeah, Jingle Bell Bowl and uh, is the last one I'm going to. Um, and even then, that was a kind of last minute thing. Um, and comparatively, um, I don't know if I'll be able to squeeze any uh, other gaming in. Um, might manage to get a game of forty k or something like that, in or maybe even some Warhammer. Fantasy battle uh, with uh, Gordon um, as uh, we wind down the year, but yeah, I'm not expecting much uh, now. Just uh, focusing on getting painting done so I can have a holiday. Really, that's about Very it. good. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Two Guys One Dice Cup. We will see you all again in the very near future. Oh yeah.